Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Double Clutch NBA podcast presented by Leaning. I am Matthew Wellington, one of your usual hosts, and I'm joined today by one of the podcast stalwarts. We've got Joe Herbert. Hi there, guys. How are both of you doing today? I'm very well. And we've got Jordan Self, who's also back after a while off. Quite a while off, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, lads. How's it going? Right. um, NBA London. We were supposed to do a recap show, myself and Mike Miller, but some things came up last week which kind of sabotaged that. Um, By the way, I'm sorry to interrupt, but there is a Woj bomb. Oh, oh. Jason Jason Kidd has just been fired. That's fantastic timing. What he's, timing? He's been fired. Uh, that, that is. Oh, wow. this, this happens every now and then. We once had a Derek Rose uh, watch bomb uh, just as we started recording. It, for those of you who are listening at any point in the day during the week, it is the twenty-first. Uh, uh, no, sorry, it is the twenty-second on a Monday. It's nine o'clock, and the watch bombs just dropped. So that's completely thrown our start off. <laughs> Um, but Milwaukee, I mean, they're eighth in the Eastern Conference right now, twenty-three and twenty-two. They're four and six in the last ten games. Um, this has been coming, hasn't it? Really? Yeah, I think it's every Milwaukee Bucks fan dream. To be honest, uh, again, if you've been following any of the me- like message boards on Twitter uh, and seeing what fans are saying, I, I think that the the writing's been on the wall for a long time, and I think. Uh, some of his mathematical decisions late in games has been a uh, kind of signpost in some of the struggles and issues people have with what he's been doing over there. He, he's a strange, he's a strange coach in the sense that if you speak to Bucks writers, he doesn't do the offense. The offense is coordinated by someone else, and their defense is coordinated by another coach. So no one really knew what it was he actually did for this team. Yeah, I always remember when Janice first joined them and he had to Google who Jason Kidd was. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, yeah, all-star finals. <laughs> like, it's like, it's just yeah. The dude had done done a lot in his career and Janice had no idea who he was. But yeah, Milwaukee have been one of the um, one of the disappointments, I think, so far this season. I mean, especially after they made the, the move for Eric Bledsoe. I thought they were really going to come on there and have those two, you know, absolutely dominate on the, on the pick and roll. But it, it it hasn't happened. Some games they've looked brilliant, and other games they haven't. Yeah, it's 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 been coming. There's no reason a team with that much length should be 25th in defensive efficiency, and they should no. they should at least be top 15. And to be honest, I'd say top 10. Yeah, they've got so much length. Well, was it, I don't I don't know if Giannis is still averaging 30, 35 points a game, but he was for like at least the first 10 games of this season, and he was in the running for the MVP. But that's kind of quieted down a lot recently yeah all Jason Kidd is seeming to kind of reference is he he came out last week I think it wasn't talking about how the the only reason the team isn't winning is because they're the the team are around like 25 years old and that they're not old enough yet to win and I mean you just you look around the league and you look well the Timberwolves are are young they're they're winning Uh, again a lot of teams in the league have young players and they're still able to win the Golden State Warriors aren't exactly old but you look at those teams and they're winning so if you've got a player like Giannis Antetokounmpo, you've got Eric Bledsoe now as well, Chris Middleton, you've got good players to build around there. Like, what what's your excuse at this point for just not being able to put it all together? I do wonder where they're going to go now with whether they've got somebody lined up. Maybe Fizdale's on on the on the cards, but yeah, Fizdale Fizdale be a great appointment. His sacking was a disgrace at Memphis. I thought it was just a. It was obviously a power stroke, but if you yeah speak to LeBron, LeBron thinks he got fired because he's not going to kiss anyone's ass. And I think this is probably a better job for him. Um, there's no, there's not. Well, with the grit and grind atmosphere that he brought and the mentality he brought to that Grizzlies team and the way he he's well, he's part of the reason that I mean they're winning. What they've won three or four games in a row as at the time of of recording this and. He's the one who slowly started turning them into a modern team that actually used the perimeter and you know could shoot the three. And I, I think with the defensive assets that Milwaukee have got, he could go in there and really. He's he's certainly one of the smartest coaches in in the Eastern Conference. And I mean, you just have to look at some of the teams above him to realize that that if they can turn it around, they could still finish quite you know they could still finish three or four places above where they are now. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, how much really changes though. And I think sometimes it's a misconception from the fans' point of view that the head coach is in charge of everything. And uh, as you guys just mentioned, like Jason Kidd has delegated a lot of what he's done. And and when you look at what the Bucks have had in place there, I, I get the feeling that it's not just a Jason Kidd system. Mm. It is a system that the Bucks want to run. And that that kind of really heavy blitzing defense, like I, I don't think that that is going to work. And I think it's shown that it they can have a good defense at times because they've got good long athletic players but that that system it killed them in the playoffs when once the Raptors figured them out and, and in the regular season at times it's just a bit too much and they're a bit too heavy footed with that so uh, I'm interested to see if they really change the system are they going to just kind of get someone to come in and just kind of do the same thing run out the same system or are they going to go for a full kind of reshuffle uh, with, with their kind of structure and with their game plan we played them last year when they ran that system and we were killing them with dribble handoffs because they switch they switch everything so we often had it where we'd just do a handoff and the guard was running our guard was running at their center so yeah they've got to have some internal changes but i think a fizdale appointment is the right one if they want to go in that direction and to be honest i don't know if you two agree but i think this is quite a desperation move to make sure giannis stays with this team long term I just think Jason Kidd is the, you know, if Jason Kidd is your coach, and Milwaukee are already going to have trouble keeping him anyway because everyone's going to want a piece of him if he ever hits free agency. You've got to have a better selling point than Jason Kidd. It's just that simple. Yeah, and I think when you when you look at what they're doing there, the again he's been there for three and a half years at this point, and what have they really achieved? And again, they they overachieved in their kind of first year, and they as that kind of unit and as that core they they've looked like they're kind of stagnant despite the internal growth of players like Middleton and and Giannis and even Jabari Parker showing signs you look at those guys and think well they they're making the jumps but the team isn't winning more games and I, I think there becomes a point where you start to have to look in the mirror a bit and go well what are we doing as a team that's not allowing us to get these wins it's not exactly like they're in the western conference and they're having to play uh, against the Houston Rockets every other night they've got again games that they're dropping to fairly beatable opponents uh, and they're, they're just struggling to kind of really grind out those wins and they, they haven't really found their identity late in games and just nothing quite looks right with that team you can see all the bits are there and if I was a Bucks fan I'd be excited yeah, but been, they, they need a lot of work before you can really start kind of considering them as like actual contenders for Eastern Conference Finals I was just going to say I think I do think they need um Part this team for me all hinges on Jabari Parker still. I think Bledsoe and Middleton are good players, but I do wonder how high your ceiling is in the East when your second best player is Chris Middleton. And that's coming from a big fan of Chris Middleton as well. I just think, yeah, what's the ceiling for that? Sort of 48, 49 wins? That's good, but is would you trust them, even with Fisdale, to push uh, Toronto or Boston or Cleveland or even Washington or Miami? Maybe even Indiana. Would you trust that core to lead a team to a playoff win over any of those teams? As it is at the moment, I, I, I wouldn't know. Unless, like like we were just saying, Fisdale comes in and completely changes the way their mentality works. And Jabari Parker is their offensive powerhouse. I mean, what was he averaging? 20 points a game last season for them when he was playing? And he only played 50-odd games last season. He's been the guy who's just come in and like 20-something games his first year. And then he looked like he was going to have a full season the year after that. But... It's never quite worked out. He's been the guy they've floated around in trade rumors, like they were they were considering trading him to, I think it was Memphis at one stage, but they obviously ended up with with Bledsoe, and even Bledsoe's not coming and exactly lit the fire the way you'd have expected them to. But they're a funny roster because there was a period, certainly two three seasons ago, where everyone just assumed this was the way NBA teams were going to be built. They were going to be long, lanky, athletic, capable of switching all the time, and defending multiple positions and. To some respects, quite a few teams have done that, but Milwaukee, the team that is supposedly the, at the forefront of this movement, haven't moved anywhere since. Whereas Boston and teams like the Warriors and and even the Raptors this year, like they've all suddenly got so much better on you know on that whole defensive mentality, that switching, and being able to play multiple positions. Yeah, and I, I think that the the idea of what the Bucks did is it surprised teams. So that their their strategy was to over help and to try and send the guy over really early and try to block off the passing lanes and try and just really get in people's faces. And I think 
that surprises you. If you're, if you're, you're just sitting, standing there and you're dribbling the ball and you've got someone really jump in your face, you don't quite know what to do. But once you start to game plan for that and you, the other coach adjusts, again, I think what was happening was Coach Kid was just getting out coached every night. So it started to get to a point where people go, right, we, we know what you're going to do. We've got a system in place to deal with your defense. We're going to move the ball around the perimeter, try and get an open three point shot in the corner, which again, they're giving up very regularly. Uh, and I think that that's something that is just a case of the coaching job not being good enough but it will, it will be interesting to see wh where they go from here I think um, again I did just another notifications just come out here Giannis is uh, is crushed by the Jason Kidd firing and I think uh, it will be interesting to see because uh, you tend to find similarly with Fisdale uh, some of these coaches do establish really good relationships nice. with the young players and Giannis hasn't really known much different from Jason Kidd and if, as a kind of a foreigner coming into the country you wonder how is he going to react to the sudden change is he going to feel comfortable with a new guy coming in trying to kind of bring his own system in when Giannis has had so much success in doing what he's doing um, just going back to where we were before the wash bomb dropped um, NBA London was obviously <laughs> a, a fantastic event and I just want to shout out the guys who covered it for us we've got Mike Miller Alexander Cole and Josh Coyne who did all kinds of stuff including an interview with Tass Mellis which you would have heard by now hopefully so go and check all that stuff out we have actually released the podcast on Spotify now which is pretty cool because it means you don't have to download anything you can just stream it straight from Spotify headquarters um, so please go and check out the Taz Mellis podcast it was a really interesting to sit down and listen to him talk about how the Basketball Jones sort of grew and grew and but then became the starters and obviously to the point of where they are now so go and check that out the game itself was certainly one of the best London games we've had um, nice 22 point comeback from the Boston Celtics it was really cool to see Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving in the flesh um, Kyrie gave up one of his shoes he signed a limited edition shoe which I believe was just a London thing and he, um, he gave it to a kid who was wearing his, his college shirt courtside so that was a, a nice touching moment but you know the ticket issue thing is something that we'll, we'll keep mentioning because if we if we go silent about it then it's never going to change but I know that we've um, we will be attempting to contact the NBA at some point to see what their um, their opinion is on the whole thing but it's just a real shame when there's quite a few empty seats and a lot of them have just gone on StubHub. I mean, I know, Jordan, you tried to get tickets and, and failed. Yeah, and I think it's uh, the case for a lot of people that I spoke to is just, again, the touts got hold of those tickets so quickly. If, you, if you're not on that and you're not there at least an hour before, to get, getting hold of tickets was impossible. And it's, it's a shame because you've got real fans sitting at home and I, I know the atmosphere is good there, but you, you, you tend to look at it and go, if we got a whole bunch of real fans there, could that actually do something to the atmosphere that just changes it from feeling kind of like a, a kind of neutral fan base to some people really kind of hardcore interested? I mean, I, I was thinking about this before. Like Again, I mean, I assume you guys have probably yeah. got league pass as well. I think a lot of the, the kind of hardcore NBA fans in the UK have league pass. I mean, I feel like could the NBA UK not do something where if you buy league pass for the season that you then get priority to tickets? Because again, those are going to be people who are really watching night in, night out and they're, they're the ones who deserve to be getting to go to a game. That is a cracking idea. Yeah, that is a really good idea. The only thing people might complain about is if they can't afford league pass, but you've got to have some way of filtering it. Because at the moment, with how with the re, you know, re, ticket resellers, I just want to say, you know, if any of our listeners are, t are ticket resellers, you make me sick. Like, <laughs> yeah, stop listening. <laughs> I went, I went to the NFL with my dad, and we had to pay like triple what we would have, you know, for normal tickets. It's, it's a big problem, but there's not a lot you can do about it. Sadly, no, it, it is difficult, and I mean. There, there are times with the ticket resellers, like I think that they're, they're there and they, they see it like a business for them, don't they? Yeah. And it's, it's difficult for, for fans because we're, we're not about that. I know actually when I went to New York, I was trying to, uh, get, I was going to the uh, Cavs first Nets game and I went down to the arena and we, we found some tickets for a, um, a proper kind of a, the really nice fancy seats in a box that were actually cheaper than the tickets we had. So we we went to the game. We think, right, we're going to buy those tickets, see if we can sell our tickets to one of the resellers. Uh, we went down to try and sell it to the reseller as this huge, <laughs> uh, tough looking guy. And uh, we, we tried to sell it to him. And he, he was trying to buy it. He was trying to buy it off me for, for five pounds for three sets of tickets that we paid $60 for. And he kept going, ah, no, nah, man, that's a good deal. We'll get, we'll get that started. And uh, uh, no, that's not a good deal. Trying to grab it out of my hand. And I, again, I felt like he was just trying to like, piranhas like trying to just grab the tickets from me and again i feel like that's the way this that's how i see these ticket resellers now they're just there to try and 
buying tickets for as cheap as possible, sell them at like an outrageous amount just to try and profit off people who want to go see their favorite team play. And it's, it's a shame, really, that's the way it is. Yeah. And if you did email us when we asked for emails about the ticketing situation, rest assured they have been read. We've definitely got them all. Um, and I know Sean Guest, who's one of our writers, has been sort of working on um, on a strong case and statement that hopefully we'll, we'll get to release at some point over the uh, the next couple of weeks. But um, we, we're going to wait and at least give the NBA a chance to, to fight their, their side before we um, we just sit there and bash them over the head with a hammer for, <laughs> for a thousand words. But um, yeah, there's been obviously so much has happened the last well week and a bit since we, we lasted a proper podcast. I mean... The Cavs, they gave up 148 points. Um, that was courtesy of 36 points from Paul George, 23 from Russell Westbrook, and a season-high 29 points from the Thunder, who look like they've turned their season around, and certainly Paul George isn't going to be looking to go to Cleveland anytime soon. Golden State and Houston, we had the third game of their their matchup, and Houston are now 2-1 against the defending NBA champions. So, I mean, they could be a legit contender. We'll have to wait and see. And then... Over in San Antonio, things are not looking too bright for um, a certain Kawhi Leonard. I mean, they're four and ten in their last um, last ten games. Kawhi Leonard is now out indefinitely with his right quadriceps injury, and um, multiple sources, according to Wadge of ESPN, has has said that um, Leonard has become distant and disconnected. I mean, is there anything we can take from that, or is this just all you know, smoke and mirrors? He always looks disconnected to me. He's got no. <laughs> <laughs> now I think, and um, first of all. Greg Popovich for me is coach of the year at the moment. I mean, that roster really, I, I like Aldridge. I've been quite a big defender of him on this podcast, um, but that's really all they've got. And they are still, I believe they're the five seed at the moment. Yeah. That's that's pretty, I mean, we don't need to praise Greg Popovich anymore. He's, um, everyone agrees he's the best coach of all time, but they've won 30 games with, with their best player as LaMarcus Aldridge and not a lot around him. So, you know, a couple of Spurs fans I've seen on Twitter are getting made fun of because they want a tank and everyone's thinking, well, you don't know what the hell tanking is. <laughs> they've won 50... They've won... I believe they've won 50 games for the last 20 nine, years. Nine, and that yeah, includes... And that includes a shortened season. The 11-12 the, uh, season was shortened to 66 games. So, yeah, they don't know what tanking is. Uh, they won't tank. We all know that. They'll probably get the four or five seed and they're going to give either Minnesota or Oklahoma City a, a horrible series. Yeah, and then, and then they'll get the 26th pick in the draft, pick some European player who they'll stash away for two years and he turns out to be the, the next LeBron James. So that, that that's, that's the Spurs rebuild. Well, that's where the whole LaMarcus Aldridge re- re- sort of rejuvenation we've seen this season has been so remarkable because he was definitely not happy with the situation in the summer and then that all broke recently that you know he was almost traded and then that he sort of sat down with pop and had a few words but he's one of six players this season to have led his team in a game in scoring i mean he's done it 36 times the closest is janice who had 30, who's had 33 games where he's had 30 points or more so lamarcus is out there balling unfortunately he wasn't balling against the paces last night yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's the thing is when, when you are relying on one player to, to to do all the heavy lifting then it does become an issue because if he has an off night or the other team really game plans well and manages to kind of play him out the game a bit then yeah becomes difficult I mean they've just mentioned now that it's uh, Dejounte Murray is going to be the starting point guard going forward and and it looks like Tony Parker's on the out there and I think that that's a good thing for them they've kind of start to move that youth movement but I do worry again I love Dejounte Murray but he, he's not a guy that's going to get you you 15 points a game even really at this point in his career and uh, that that's got to be a concern that where, where do you really look to for offense when Marcus Aldridge uh, kind of long range twos and uh some of the threes he's been starting to hit start to kind of dry up a little bit so it'll be interesting to see especially come playoff time whether or not they can really sustain what they've managed to get kind of out of those players so far do you think perhaps the one negative approach that greg popovich perhaps has as a whole is his approach to sort of some of the younger players on the spurs roster because deontay murray who we just mentioned i think is more than capable of being a, a 15 point per game scorer but he just has not had the minutes. I mean, obviously he didn't play much in his first season this year. He's upped his, his, his minutes to around 20 minutes a game, but it's almost like Pop is always favouring the veteran over the, the young guy. And in some cases, I think that stunts player development because, you know, you go and look in at Phoenix, for example, they chucked Trevor Booker in and had him play 25, 30 minutes for his whole first season. And like, he's just developed and developed since then. And uh, Sorry, did I just say Trevor Booker? 
I meant Devin. I don't know what I'm doing. No, I, I know, I know, I know what you mean, and I think uh, I, I definitely not, not going to be one to try and question too much of uh, Greg Popovich. But uh, what I tend to look at is again look at some of the guys who he has developed in Tony Parker uh, and some of those guys and what where they've come towards the end of their career. And then you look at what someone like again, no offense to Joe, is the Wolves fan here, but you look at someone like Tibbs, who's who's driven someone like Derek Rose, who again he 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 gave him those minutes, gave him that responsibility, and you, you look where Derek Rose is now. And you compare that to a career like Tony Parker, and if if it's me, I would rather the Tony Parker career than the Derrick Rose career. But again, I can see where you're coming from, but I do think it's an interesting when you when you really step away from it, look big picture. Could we be looking at Dejounte Murray and thinking, yeah, Popovich knew all along the way to kind of get the best out of him. The thing is with this team, this is the first time in 20 years where um, veterans haven't been the cornerstone players, so they've still got. Um, They've still got some good veterans, but they're not the cornerstones. You've got Aldridge, who's, I guess you'd consider him a veteran, but for, I, I hated the Pau Gasol signing at the time. And the guards, uh, Tony Parker is declining. Ginobili is good for a couple of spot up threes a game and the odds brilliant game winner. And you've got Danny Green as well. What I'm saying is they need to hand the reins over to someone, but it's just whether he'll do it because he... He values winning in the present over long term, I think. I think that's what he's trying to do, obviously. Um, and maybe he's just, he wants to stick with those Gasol, Aldridge front courts. Well, perhaps that's part of the frustration on Kawhi's part is he's rumoured to be unhappy with the way they've managed his injury. But if they are, you know, if he's the, the future of the franchise, which he obviously is, then they've got to do everything possible to protect him, surely. But I guess there's there's some points where players would like to go out and seek their own medical help whereas the the team would want them to to do their own thing but rc buford's come out and basically said that you know this is all rubbish and it's 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 a non-story so we'll have to see what what happens in um in san antonio because they're one of those teams who's always available always around when there's free agents and trades to be made but they never quite push the button so we'll we'll have to see what happens before the trade deadline not that they need to salvage their season because they're, they're having an incredible year speaking of salvaging seasons the clippers a team which i know joe holbert has been dying to talk about um they are seven and three in their last 10 they've gone from a team that was buried i think is the, is the best word to, to, to use under the expectation of chris paul blake griffin and lob city um but they've been an absolute blast this season and they've you know the, the game they lost last night was was a narrow one to utah which and they just got really go bareback so that wasn't really too much of a surprise but considering those two teams met in the playoffs last year you would have not recognized the clippers roster <laughs> Maybe the removal of expectations has made Doc coach a little bit freer, if that makes yeah. sense. I've watched I've watched a couple of their games. The offense, the running joke amongst a couple of our UK Clippers fans was that Rivers never changed the offense under Paul and Reddick. But actually, if you watch their offense now, it's very diverse. They sort of play at a little bit of a higher pace. There's more than just those high pick and rolls. And, you know, I'm. I, it's easier to coach when there's no expectations on you. But I'm wondering if that is a big reason that the Clippers look a little bit better than maybe they have sort of towards the end of last season. Yeah, and I think is uh, you, you can see, I think the players are playing a bit freer too because uh, you kind of see Blake Griffin now compared to the last couple of seasons with Chris Paul there. They they just looked a bit unhappy. They never looked like they were having fun. And, and now you see Blake Griffin's coming out talking about how fun the team is, uh, how much they're really enjoying playing. And I think that tends to happen sometimes when you see a big star player move away from a team you you get back a, a load of really good players not great players but a load of really good players and they all start to have a bit more of an important role and i think sometimes that really galvanizes guys and i think they they're just looking at that now going yeah this is our opportunity to start just playing basketball they don't have to just be sitting on the edge of the three three-point line watching Chris Paul run a pick and roll with DeAndre they can actually now be starting to run a little bit of uh, offense where everyone gets involved and uh, Blake can kind of run it from the top and they yeah they just look a lot happier playing out there it also it, uh, there's a part of it where it also helps with the fact that Chris Paul's gone because now everybody especially opposing defenses are purely focusing in on Blake Griffin because it's his team which is leaving guys like Lou Williams who's averaging 23 points a game five assists a game like they're leaving him wide open, and didn't he have fifty against the Warriors the other week? Like he's he's having the season of his life. Yeah. Wesley Johnson, who 
you know, was was fun when he was with my Lakers between 2013 and 2015. He's been immense for them. He's added such, you know, such great defensive versatility. I mean, he's six foot seven, but in in Utah last night, he was asked to guard um, Derek Favors, who I think is six foot ten. <laughs> he was trying to guard him, and then he was switching on to Donovan Mitchell and and Joe Ingles, and he's become such a great versatile player for them. And I mean, he can get up, he can block shots, he can steal. He gets out in the floor. He's really good at transition. He can even knock down the three, which is something that he was not great at, or at least consistent at when he was at his previous three teams. But yeah, I mean, he's a small forward who plays multiple positions. He's often guarding the the other team's best player. And when you've got somebody you can rely on like that, it, it makes a world of difference. And it, it's not really surprising that they've beaten. You know, I know they've beaten Sacramento twice in those 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 seven wins I mentioned, but they have beaten Houston, Golden State in that time as well. So. They're out there beating the best, and the Houston game. I mean, we can't really go without mentioning it. It was the was the the game of the year for the tabloids because of the whole Chris Paul digging a secret tunnel underneath the Clippers locker room and leading a revolt against um against Blake Griffin. <laughs> so that was interesting. Yeah, that was um, quite embarrassing to be honest, wasn't it? But <laughs> I mean, I don't, in the NBA, <laughs> I, I don't have time for for stuff like that. But one of the things I've actually really liked about this Clippers team is. Um, Dot Rivers, my big criticism of always, of him has always been, and I said this on our post-NBA draft pod, he doesn't give young guys minutes. That He's always been very much, he would rather sign, you know, a Nate Robinson, Brandon Jennings journeyman than give 20 minutes a game to Juwan Evans, who they drafted this year. And that's what's really impressed me about him. He has, I know we just talked about Wesley Johnson, who still gets big minutes, but he is putting the ball in the hands of these young players. And a lot of people are saying, well, it's because that's all they've got. But it doesn't mean he has to do it. He could very easily, run an eight-man rotation with all the veterans in there and I've I've really I've really enjoyed watching him coach and that's the first time I've said that for probably since he was in Boston yeah I think it's uh it's, it's been a big turnaround for him for him and uh as you mentioned I think there is an element of um with players like Chris Paul you have that kind of LeBron effect which is we all know that when you're watching a LeBron James team play, they play LeBron James basketball. And yeah. when you watch a Chris Paul team play, up until now, they've played Chris Paul basketball. And I, I think it kind of, you you forget sometimes that these are guys who dedicate their whole lives to being basketball experts and, and, and just dedicate themselves to trying to figure out the game and figure out ways to win. And you give a guy like Doc Rivers who cares so much about basketball and you say to him, right, look, here's your point guard. He's going to run the team you just have to do these other bits around that and figure out how to fit with Chris Paul. That's got to be hard to do. And you see coaches like Rick Carlisle, they, they always have big issues with point guards. And it just makes you wonder, again, is Doc Rivers now just, as you mentioned, able to free himself up and just really kind of experiment and do do things that he has refrained from doing just because of the situation he's been in? I do feel a bit sorry for Chris Paul because like, he just keeps getting bashed every couple of months by by former Clippers or by coaches, but like he had to change his game when he went to the Clippers. Like there's no mistake about it. He went from being a, you know, a pure scorer when he was in New Orleans to having to go and, and play with two other all-stars, you know, one other monster superstar in Blake Griffin. And he had to become sort of a, a pure facilitator. And he did that whilst also chipping in with the points. But now you see him in Houston where he's playing alongside James Harden. I would, I think you'd struggle to find a higher IQ backcourt anywhere else in the league. Like I, they, they just both know the game of basketball. You get 48 minutes a night. You don't have to play them both at the same time, which is a bonus, which has completely opened up Chris Paul's game this year. You saw against the Warriors the other night, like he, the times, times where he was, he led them in scoring. Like it's, and how many years has it been since we've seen Chris Paul look like that? I mean, the, the opening night against against um the the Warriors they looked like he well he certainly looked like he couldn't keep up with the pace of the game but um it's slowly over you know the the forty odd games that everyone's played so far he's slowly adapted to that and I think that he's fit in there but it's it is nice not to have to keep going on about Lob City and them not you know fulfilling expectations because you've just got a bunch of guys who are involved in this trade Patrick Beverly you know Sam Decker guys who want to just go out there and play and they play hard each night. Um, it's a shame Teodosic was is down injured. I mean, he played 19, 18 games at the start of the year, but he looked great when he was playing. I mean, it's weird to say he's a rookie at age 30, but that's what happens when you come from Europe. He he is he is back now to lead their playoff. Play, so, you know, <laughs> the question I'll pose to you two is, do you think they're going to get in? Because if you look at the um, standings, which I'll just get up quickly, they've got good momentum behind them. And 
you know, they've got a big decision over Lou Williams. Do they trade him? Because, you know, let's be honest, I'm not sure he's going to get much better. Do you hold on to that? Because personally, I, I'm quite happy to say this. I think Utah downwards are out. I think it's the between the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Pelicans and the Blazers for those last three spots. Uh, do you guys think the Clippers are going to sneak in? Personally, I, I would take Denver over Clippers for the eighth seed. And I think... Uh, I would expect the Blazers and the Pelicans to kind of continue to rise, to be honest. So uh, as much as it's it's been fun and I think it's, it's hard, and I know any Clippers fans out there will be effing and blinding, but I think you, you look at this team and just go, they're, they're a good bunch of guys and they're, they're making it work, but all it takes is a another Blake Griffin injury or a Lou Will injury and a couple of games to drop here or there and they're out of that very quickly and then you're in that horrible no man's land where you've got a 31 year old Lou Williams and uh, whose contract's expiring what you're going to do with him there you've got uh, DeAndre Jordan who you're going to have to start thinking about his salary is he going to opt in in the summer and you just find yourself in this horrible position so yeah I, I think that in my opinion they're going to just drop out and then what what do you really do going forward there I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up finishing the eighth I mean Denver have not really exceeded the expectations that people had for him. I mean, Gary Harris is, is averaging, what, 17 points a game, but they lost to the Clippers on Wednesday last week. I think that was a big one. They've lost to the Suns, the Kings. They've lost to bad teams, teams that they should be beating with the talent they've got. But a lot of that has fallen on the fact that Nikola Jokic just does not look bothered on the defensive end most nights, which is a big problem and has always been a problem for a lot of European players. But he's it's just been emphasised with him this year. And I think if the Clippers can stay healthy, then... Yeah, sure. I I think they could quite easily sneak into the eighth. I think the Jazz are too far behind. They had a tough schedule for the first 40-odd games of the year. Without Rudy, it was always going to be a struggle. Um, now Rudy's back, I wouldn't be surprised if they won a few more games, but they're going to finish too far back. I mean, they, they might be, what, 10th by the end of the year, maybe? Yeah, they're, they're a 10th at the moment. The big problem they're having is they're so bad on the road. They're 5-18 and 18 on the road. You know, they just don't have that scoring that you need to win on the road. But, I mean, going back to my own question, it's between the Clippers and the Nuggets to me. I'm, I've been on the Pelicans bandwagon since day one. I love watching them play. <laughs> I had them in the playoffs. I was one of very few people on my timeline who did. But you did. The, you thing, did. The, the reason I prefer the Clippers over the Nuggets, if you watch the Nuggets, they turn the ball over a lot. You know, Their offense is based around motion cuts. That's a high percentage play when it works but it turns the ball over a lot and I just I'm going to go with the Clippers just because they have that veteran know-how and I think their offense is built to sort of win them but you know close games I think the Nuggets are too reliant on sort of intricate passing yeah no doubt I think it's, it's it'd be interesting to see going forward I think the that kind of run up to the all-star break is always a, a tough stretch and I think if they can get through that and put themselves in a position down the stretch, uh, then, yeah, I, th I think they've got as much chance as uh, any of those teams in there. But it's just, uh, I think there's so many questions there. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose a couple of games before All-Star break if they don't think, let's sell high on Lou Will and uh, just see if we can get the best we can for him. Because right now, there's a number of teams in, uh, in the East and the West who are thinking kind of, uh, long term it, down in the playoffs that they need a scorer and you might be looking at a guy like Lou Will thinking yeah let's I'll, I'll give up a first round pick for him uh, and that that would be something that would put the Clippers in a really good position going forward probably a better position than they would be being in the eighth seed and potentially getting swept by the Warriors in the first round it's interesting that you um, bring up turnovers Joe because I seem to mention there was a pod in November I think you might be on it actually where you mentioned they had the same problem so clearly Mike Malone hasn't adapted or, or made any alterations to stop that from happening which is which is a shame because you'd expect more from from a guy like Mike Malone um anyway moving on to the what I'm going to call the state of flux in the Eastern Conference just a general discussion around the Eastern Conference basically I mean we know that Kemba Walker's been put on the trade market they're obviously clearly going to to blow up their 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 team and, and start again but overall with the Eastern Conference this season I mean who has and hasn't surprised you I mean we mentioned Indiana earlier are Cleveland going to be this bad forever? Do you guys see it turning around or are you, you know, the opposite? Well, what does Ty Lue actually do? Jordan made a great point a minute ago that when you get LeBron, you get LeBron's offense. It's the same in the NFL with Peyton Manning. You get his offense. So, and so that's on, that's on LeBron. And then you've got the defense. They are 29th. 
and a lot of people keep talking. I don't know how this flick a switch thing exists. You can't fl- you can't flick a switch <laughs> when you're trying to defend with Isaiah Thomas, J.R. Smith, Kyle Corver. They're not good defenders. You can't just turn them into good ones. That it's a fact that they are defensive sieves, and it shows. Now, I think Lou could probably get them up to about 18th or 19th in efficiency if he did some coaching, but they're not going to get much higher than that. But I still think that, obviously, when you've got a LeBron James team, you know, LeBron and four trash cans could probably win you a couple of games. But I do wonder if that coaching change is coming soon because LeBron did not really give him the biggest vote of confidence the other day. I'm not sure if you two saw it. Yeah. Someone yeah, it, was, asked, it was a bit of a non-plus kind of endorsement, it, yeah, wasn't it? It was, a... it was very much a... Uh, I, I'm not really sold on him, but I can't. I don't want to look bad. That was what. That was the vibe I got from it. If anyone didn't know, someone asked LeBron. He said, "I sure hope he doesn't, but we need to do more things better." And that's very much a, you know, don't ask me about it again. But we can tell what he's feeling. Um, I still think the Cavs are the favourites, even with how bad they are. But what I will say is, could you guys imagine if Gordon Hayward comes back to Boston? Do you see a way? Do you see a oh, way yeah. the Cavs can defend that? Because this Boston offense at the moment is horrendous. But you add Hayward in there, that's going to put them top five again for me. Is there any way? I mean, I don't want to see J.R. Smith trying to run around defending Kyrie and Hayward. Uh, I mean, it's 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 going to be be tough with their defense, no matter what. They've not they've not really shown any signs, and I think it, compared to years previous where we've talked about flipping the switch, at least there have been signs where at times they're able to lock it up and really look good. Whereas in this year, there there hasn't been any of that. There's there's not been a sign of any times where we're going, oh yeah, there, there's that Cavs defense. They they just haven't shown that. So yeah if if Gordon Hayward's back in there what do you do i mean there's only so much lebron can do on the defensive end and again it's he's obviously going to be exhausted he's been carrying a lot of load like i think there's going to be serious changes needed i i wouldn't be surprised to see them really active in the trade market i mean are they going to make a trade that is the big question i mean we obviously mentioned Kemba Walker a minute ago but you have to give up the nets pick to at least make a dent on on, on that trade front and i'm not even entirely sure that's the best move that Charlotte would make and would want to make because obviously they've got a lot of they've got some serious contracts they've got to move some serious guaranteed money Batum's on 99 million dollars Dwight's up there Cody Zeller's up there there's guys that they have got to shift and they can't just shift Kemp by himself they need to shift some other people with it to get this rebuild underway because they're a team that have disappointed they, they should have been a lot better than that they they are and they've just dropped off a cliff I mean I think Utah's a really good destination um for Kemba Walker, you'd have to trade Batum as well. You'd probably get package back of well, this is a package that works. Derek Favors, Rodney Hood, Ricky Rubio in a first round top eight protected. Um, that works, but if you're Utah, that's basically you saying you're going to commit to now. You're going to run with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and you're going to try and compete in what is going to be, admittedly, a ridiculously tough battle in the Western Conference for the next few years. Yeah, Kemba's a very interesting player because if you watch that Hornets offense, it's, it's his offense. They One man team. If, if, yeah, <laughs> if you look at the play types he runs, I think the stat I saw was something like 78% of his play type is PNR ball handler. So they run a lot of pick and roll, that's fine. But I do wonder whether, you know, how what's the ceiling on a Kemba Walker-led offense? I really like Kemba Walker. I want to get that clear. I think he's a good player. I think he's got the best contract in the league. Cap hit at 12 million. I mean, to put that into perspective, that is the sixth highest cap hit on the Hornets roster. So that says a lot about the Hornets front office, but also says about how great Kemba's deal is. But how high is the ceiling on a Kemba Walker-led offense? I mean, because you'd obviously surround him with shooters, but is Kemba a guy you trust to go and win you 50 games? Do you know, I honestly think with the right pieces, Kemba Walker has what you need he's a, he's a scorer he's a limited facilitator but uh, again i'm not trying to say he's in the same level but i don't in from a stylistic point of view i don't think that he's given you that much less than a a damian lillard type or a, again i know people hate this but kyrie irvin type but i mean what what does he not give you that those guys give you again limited kind of defensive upside uh, a guy who can score 20 plus points a game on a, a, any given night around six assists I mean there, there's 
there's only so many Steph Curry's, Russell Westbrook's, Chris Pauls. I think from a second, third tier standpoint, yeah, he, he's got the potential. He's still still young enough, 27, I think he is. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that he, he's got what you need. He, if he improves his three-point shot, makes that a little bit more consistent. Again, he's shown he can shoot that. Then, yeah, I, I think if you've got the right players around him, he, he could be a useful, a really good second option on a team. Which organization is going to be willing to pay him a near max in 2019, though? Like that—that's the problem that's going to shape this trade because it's obviously going to scare a lot of teams off. I mean, the Knicks are probably another team that would be willing to jump in there, but like I just said with Utah, that would be committing to now and not waiting, which would make more sense, admittedly, in the Eastern Conference. I mean, the only realistic team that I've liked him on is Denver. I'd like the idea of Denver maybe giving up Jamal Jamal Murray and uh, Juan Hernan Gomez. I think that's a decent return, probably for a pick in there as well. But I mean, the problem is I I I like giving Kemba the max, but I think he it's a tough situation because he needs to be joining a team for me that already has other pieces and has cap room. Now, a couple, some teams have high p- good pieces. Um, so I'm going to use the Pelicans as an example. I think he's a good fit there, but they don't, they just don't have the cap room. And yeah, this is this is the tough thing with all this NBA trade machine. You've got to try and look at it in, with so many different angles. And you know, I went through every team last night. Obviously, ticked off ones with good point guards, and there's not really many obvious landing spots for him unless he goes on a rebuilding team. You know, the the Suns or the Kings or someone like that. I, I've got one for you here. Okay, what about 76ers? Yeah, that'd be he'd be good off the ball there, I think. Straight straight up for faults. <laughs> yeah, Mark, Marco Fultz. Get get Marco Fultz out of there. Straight out of there. Again, everyone's ready to give up on him now already. We've all seen the shooting oh, videos. God, it looked bad I've been London. talking all about how good he was all summer. But again, you, you've got you, you've got that panic now. And I think that, he, again, if I'm the Hornets, I'm not giving... Kemba Walker up unless I actually think I'm getting something productive in return I think the the whole thing's been a bit blown out of proportion from uh, all standpoints I think Kemba said he wants to stay there obviously because it's a watch uh, report I don't think people uh, consider there's any way it can't happen now but I'm a big believer that you, you're not get, getting rid of Kemba Walker unless you get something that is actually going to benefit the team long term and I, I, I think the Hornets aren't going to be stupid losing Kemper Walker is not going to change a lot. There's some teams really low beneath them. Um, they need to get someone back who's going to, one, help them lose in the short term. Two, is going to be a real True, piece yeah. going forward. And 76ers, if you give out Markel Fultz, that gives Hornets what they need. You've probably selling at a point where no one would really blame you because there's so many concerns and question marks. Um, and then you get a guy back who is a perfect complement to... Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, allows Ben Simmons to kind of take a little bit of pressure off. He struggled a little bit more recently with being the kind of sole point guard there. Give another guy to take control of the ball a bit more, allow Ben Simmons to cut a little bit more post up. And I don't know, I just look at that and think that's a scary team. Kemba Walker, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid with Robert Covington, JJ Redick, all those guys around them. That, That would be a tough team. Is Kemba the sort of point guard who could make a significant shift in the wing column for quite a few teams in the, the Eastern Conference? Because like, it, it seems to me like if New York go for him, I mean, they're out of playoff contention at the moment, theoretically, anyway. But they'd have to trade Neil Aquina to get him. Um, they'd obviously bring Batum across in, in that deal as well. And that's that's not a bad. Like If your key players going forward for the next you know five years are... Kemba Walker in his prime, Porzingis on the up-and-coming, and Batum, who has always been, you know... Solid. That's that's a nice sixth, fifth seed. But if you're New York, is it not just better to wait it out and and see where the dice lies after you know if LeBron moves this summer? Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things for New York. The they're impatient, aren't they? They they want to get the guy now again. Kemba Walker is a New York guy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try and make a move. I, I just I just wonder are the Hornets that interested in Frank Nilakina? I think. They've they've picked up Malik Monk there. Um, in terms of what Nilakina offers, yes, he's a good young player, but uh, I just wonder whether or not he's really got that overall upside that's really going to appeal enough to the Hornets to give up on uh, Kemba Walker for. It's diff- he's a difficult one to move, just because you you have to add in another player. I mean, he've, there's not many teams around the league that are going to take Dwight Howard after what's happened to him the last three or four years. I mean, even if he has is having an outstanding season, one guy who I would 
love to see moved along with Kemba would be Marvin Williams and Kemba Walker in the same deal. Yeah, that's... Because Marvin Williams is a player. Yeah, that, that's the thing with... The, I'm looking at these contracts now and the problem with the Zeller and Batum ones are they're long. It's not... You know, if Batum... For example, if Batum's contract ran out next summer, I'd actually quite like him as sort of a rescue mission package type player because I, I do think there's a better... <laughs> I do think there's a better player in there. But you look at... You're going to be paying... I think he'll be about 34. And his cap hit in... In 2020 to 2021, with a player option, is 27 million. Now Kemba's great, but what you've got to remember with Kemba is his contract runs out at the end of next season. So you've basically got to commit to giving him, um, if not a max, a very near max contract. I mean, Andrew Wiggins got a max, so Kemba Walker's probably going to get one. And then you've got, you know, you're probably giving Kemba 30 million. You've got Batum 27 million. You know, is that is that a really good strategy? I mean, Kemba's great, but I'm personally not sure that he is that the Batum contract is sort of is the right thing to take on. If that makes sense, Kemba for me, Kemba isn't good enough yeah. for to take on Batum's contract as well. I'm not explaining this very well, but I hope you guys get what I'm getting at. No, no, I agree. I, I don't. I think that it's more likely that Marvin Williams is the guy to get moved with him. And um, again, he, he's he's a guy that people were able to match salaries. And the problem is, is yes, Kemper's on a good deal. But uh, when you look at those guys, if they get moved, we need to be able to send enough salary back. And I think that's where, again, someone like the Sixers, you could give up Amir Johnson and Trevor Booker with Marco Fultz. Those are two expiring contracts. That's what the Hornets want, because then that means they get rid of Marvin Williams and Kemper Walker. They get Guy and Marco Fultz on a rookie-level contract with upside, and they get two guys in Amir Johnson and Trevor Booker that are expiring in the summer, open up cap space. So, And again, the Sixers are in a position in which uh, they've got their key guys, that core already on the team, so they're not going to be big players of free agency necessarily. Um, whereas, in, like I said, a lot of teams, they're going to be looking at that going, right, is Kemba Walker plus a lot of salary going to be enough to put us over the edge and again yes he's on a good deal now but we know we're going to have to pay him in the long run how long do you have to wait to move booker's contract then because he was a recent acquisition wasn't he uh i believe because uh it was in the trade that there's no restriction up until the trade deadline i think if he was signed then there would be the restrictions but i think it should be okay to move him because it almost works as like a a kind of a, it could be kind of a long-term three three team trade if you know what i mean what are your guys' opinions on Michael Kidd Gilchrist? Like overall, <laughs> would would you be willing to trade for him? And it's thirty nine million no. guaranteed. No, I've he's been one of those players that everyone has been predicting a breakout for for a couple of years now. He's a good defender, but yeah. there's also I'm gonna so you've got someone like Luke Mabamute who's earning I think two million this year. He's a better you know personally what I'm trying to get is I would rather take my chance on a sort of defensive veteran than someone like Kid Gilchrist because the Kid Gilchrist is not worth I I mean I I wouldn't even pay him six and a half million a year. I just I don't value <laughs> I don't value defense unless you've got at least one offensive skill. He's not developed a three point shot. He's not a guy who can kind of cut. You know if you watch him he's not a smart half-court player. He just kind of stands there. Uh, he doesn't set good screens. I just, I don't see anything there. I'd much rather take my chances on a veteran. Are the Charlotte Hornets the ultimate victim of that crazy summer where the cap just went, skyrocketed up and they thought, oh God, what do we do with all this money? I would say Portland did worse given that Evan Turner contract and the Alan Crabb one, but I'm with you. They just lost it, didn't they? <laughs> I mean, it, it just shows that that front office, to be honest, is... Is, is it, it again? I don't want to rag on the Hornets too much. I like them as a team, but that that front office just—it's just bad mistake after bad decision. I think you look at the Gordon Hayward fiasco when they were kind of trying to get him tied up their cap room, wasn't able to really get anything from that. Um, again, they've made these kind of weird, desperate signings. Uh, they've not really drafted very well, like Michael K. Gilchrist for a second pick. When again, if you look how bad the Hornets were leading up to that, and then. They could have had Anthony Davis if they'd have managed to get the number one pick and the, didn't fall their way and they end up with the number two pick and you've got Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, which but is he, a big step then, down. Even then, they could have had Bradley Beal, Harrison Barnes, <laughs> Damian Lillard, even Dion Waiters is probably a better player than Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. You, and you go back to the, the, Kamins, the Kaminsky one for me is the awful one because they, they could have had Miles Turner. They were exactly the same position and they chose Kaminsky. Um 
they've just made bad. I mean, even if you look at this draft, Malik Monk over um over Donovan Mitchell. Now, I'll be honest, I loved Malik Monk, but I'm not an M- I'm not in an NBA front office. They should know that they should have seen the potential there. It's it's just bad mistake. I mean, for me, you should be fired for back to back bad drafts, but they've had like five in a row now. So you know. Yeah, and I think you, you look at the, those best teams in the league and uh, teams like the Warriors and pe- people like to kind of rag on the Warriors, call them super teams, like with Kevin Durant going there, whatever. But at the end of the day, that's a team that they drafted incredibly well, really invested time in developing their players and trying to put place things around them. And a lot of other teams just don't do that. I think people underestimate how little some teams really do to kind of develop their own players. And you, you look at those teams around the league who are really succeeding and there's always a pattern. They draft well, they develop well, and they invest on that side of it. And I think the teams that are a little behind on that, they're the ones who are now coming unstuck. Do you guys remember my piece on um, ranking all NBA teams by supportability for like new fans? Yeah, I'd move the Hornets to bottom now. That's going to be a depressing. That's going to be a depressing couple of years, isn't it? Those 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 jerseys are enough to keep you watching though. Those jerseys are nice. Those retro ones, I would watch for that alone. That is the reason they leaked they they leaked this news. It was just to soften the blow, I think. Because if they had just you know been announced, bang, he's been traded. I think there'd have been a revolt on on their hands. Um, the Miami Heat. They are twenty seven and nineteen at the moment. They're eight and two in their last ten. Um, they're fourth in the Eastern Conference at the moment. Theoretically, they could end up being third or second. Um, they are playing fantastic basketball. They are the most clutch team in the NBA, if you can believe it. They have, it, it, when the scores have been within five points or less in the last five minutes of a game, they are twenty and O, <laughs> and they shoot fifty percent from three. They have an offensive rating of one hundred twenty-four point two, which is first in the NBA in games that have that, are that close. It's just Eric Spolster, man. The dude is a wizard, and he got so much. Well, people slagged him off a lot when he had the big three there, and you know it's it's not hard to coach when you've got three absolute all stars in their prime. But he's more than proven over the last couple of years that he knows what he's doing. Yeah, this is a strange team because if I, I watch them every day as part of a sorry every game as part of a right responsibility, if you watch them at times, they go through spells where they where offensively they just look awful because they don't really have that individual. Um, I'm very against Charlotte the other night. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. And there was the one against Brook. They've had two games against Brooklyn now where they have been blown out, and they've just they go through these spells where they don't score, but they play maybe the best defense in the league, and the stats don't back me up there. But if you watch the defense, they're top ten in efficiency. But every player on, even guys like Wayne Ellington and Dion Waiters, they buy into the defensive side of the ball. And that is all on Eric Spolstra. The word culture, I think, is overused. And I don't really think people define it well. But I think Miami are the perfect example where culture is actually relevant. Because, you know, they've got some of the guys they roll out. I mean, I'm watching the game sometimes and I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And I have to, <laughs> I have to quickly Google him on my phone. And, you know, it will see Miami Heat signed player X. And it's... This roster, if you look at it on paper, for me, they, and this is a, it's not really a hot take, I would say the Orlando Magic roster is not far off the Miami Heat roster. I fully believe that. There's, there is not much on this Heat roster to shout about, but they just get it done every night. They grind things out, and I think when you have a coach who installs a system, that's, it's just so important. He's everything. If Eric Spolster resigned tomorrow, they'd struggle to win 15 games for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think I think Eric Spolster plays a huge part there. And uh, a lot of it is just when you look at those guys, like you talked about culture, there's guys there that um, you can see they've transformed their game. And there's always that talk. I remember that picture, was it last year, of Dion Waiters from the beginning of the season to the mid-season point where he just transformed his body and... Again, Miami, they invest their time in, into their players. And you can see guys uh, who, again, they're talented players. Don't get me wrong, they're in the NBA, they're good players. But Tyler Johnson, James Johnson, uh, Josh Richardson, Justice Winslow, again, they're able to make those guys so much more impactful because they've got all the little bits right. And again, you can see those guys look on top form physically. They've got a bunch of really athletic guys there now. And, and it makes them 
just a team that you you always have to be cautious of. You can never switch off against the Miami Heat. Uh, and again, I still have concerns because they don't have that one scorer that's just going to go off for 40 points in a game. It does make you worry in the long term and kind of down the line in the playoffs. But fundamentally, that's just a team of very solid players, coached very, very well. Um, and yeah, just overall a very good team. And the thing is with them as well, everyone's slagged off their off-season, me included. They've got the fourth highest payroll. They've got to invest into like Kelly Olynyk, But I still don't agree with what they did in the off-season. But Eric Spolstra, I think, has proved he can make anything work. And maybe that's a bad thing because Pat Riley committed to a group of players who, in my opinion, have a low ceiling. But, you know, they've just... Yeah, they've got Bam Adebayo now as well, which makes you think, is Hassan Whiteside expendable? Because, I mean, Bam looks... I mean, I've based on what I've watched so far, I put this on Twitter, I think he's a generational defensive talent. Just the way he the way he can switch, he could guard all five positions. I think he's the new Draymond Green in that sense. And they're developing an outside shot of him. So, you know, maybe now Miami Heat, in the next sort of 18 months, it would not surprise me if Whiteside was moved. Yeah, I think, I think that that's a big possibility. I mean... Whiteside again. He he's a guy that gets a lot of blocked shots, but defensively he just can't move his feet like Bam. And uh, again, with Adebayo being there, he's that kind of prototypical four-five man uh, in the modern NBA. And if he can get the offensive side up to uh, again a kind of at least a net positive, then yeah, I, I mean Hassan Whiteside does start to look a little bit like a a kind of dinosaur in that team because he just doesn't fit that modern style. If you had to rank them in in terms of where they would finish come the end of the season, I mean, are they are they going to stay fourth, or do you think they could possibly go higher, depending on how Cleveland and and the teams above them shape up? I think they'll finish fifth. I think the Wizards will turn it round. Um, I think. The- yeah, what's going on there? I read something about a, a players like meeting where nothing was agreed upon. <laughs> yeah, they're having the Wizards. The problem they're having is all their front court are off form. So what's basically ending up happening is Wall and Beal are having to take like sixty shots a night at the moment. Uh, Morris, Gortat are both off form, and actually the big problem if you speak to Wizards fans, they want Kelly Oubre as the starting four, which I know me and Jordan have talked about on this pod before. Scott Scott yeah. Brooks doesn't commit to small ball but I I do think they'll turn it around just because they've got the individuals but I I think the Heat this is going to sound cliche but I think they are the team that no one wants to play in the first round because at minimum you're going to have a horrible series they're going to make you work for every point they've got these players you know like Dion Waiters who think they're better than they are but they will actually knock <laughs> they will actually knock down shots in the last two minutes Dion Island. you've got a brilliant coach um they're going to be the team that everyone wants to avoid, even if, obviously, they're not going to go and win it all. It isn't. It's about Spo making the most out of what he's got available. You mentioned Josh Richardson just saying, like, when he came into the league, I thought he was just going to be a, a, a shooter, but he's turned into a guy who is all-round, you know, all-round a good player, and he's just so versatile, even on even on the defensive end, which is something that I, I just didn't see coming because he was so slight, but he's, he's turned that around. I mean, there's teams like Chicago. I mean, how do you think they're going to fare now that... Zach Lafine is back. I mean, is there going to be any sort of seismic shift, I guess, is what we're looking for in the Eastern Conference between now and the time the playoffs start? So I'm looking at the standings now, just for anyone watching at the time recorded. Celtics 1, Raptors 2, Cavs 3, Heat 4, Wizards 5, Pacers 6, Sixers 7, Bucks 8. I think that is going to be the eight teams. Um, I think Charlotte are done. I've, they've got seven road games in a row. If they lose all seven, they'll be 18 and 33. And that will probably put them down with the Magic and the Hawks. Uh, the Knicks, I know it sounds like a bash on them, but I've watched them a, f- <laughs> I've watched them a fair bit. You don't bash on the Knicks, do you? <laughs> I've watched them a fair bit this year. You know, you're not going to get far when you have a Jarrett Jack-led backcourt. Um and the, it was fun for a while. It was, yeah. They were really enjoyable, but now I think reality is set, and I think the same for Detroit. I think the same eight teams are going to be in there, but if I am backing one of those bottom seven to push in, I really like how Chicago have played in recent weeks, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Yes, yeah, so it was all, uh, again, one of those typical things where you see a team really lose its core, but you've got a bunch of guys who want to play now. And Larry Markman has been a fun revelation there. It's, again, we, we talked about him a lot in the summer. Oh, he's incredible. He's, he's a guy who, uh, if you're a, you're a Bulls fan, yeah, you're looking at that that kind of deal from the summer going, well, do you know what? Zach Levine and, and Larry Markman and Chris Dunn, it's not, not a bad uh, kind of 
mini core to at least rebuild with and I think that that keeps the games entertaining for them even if they're they're not going to be challenging anytime soon with that core but you, you've got a bunch of guys there that you're going to enjoy watching play night in night out yeah and that's the thing and one of the fenders to revolutionize that team is a guy who got knocked out on uh in October Nico Mirosic yeah. yeah, he is. Well, he's subject for trade rumors, isn't he? But we'll have to yeah. see whether he, whether or not he is moved. That's another. Bobby Port, Bobby Port has punched him in the face. That's another. That is another brilliant contract as well. So, you know, Chicago. I think to be honest, is better off if they suck because they could get a very high pick. But you know, I've got to be honest. I, I you know me. I love Zach Levine. I've been very vocal about that on this podcast, and I, yeah, I really. And Chris Dunn as well. He was crap for us. Like a lot of people are saying, oh, Fibs never gave him a chance. He did give him a chance. He was just awful. <laughs> he was awful at everything. So, yeah, but the thing is with Fred Hoiberg and the thing you saw when he had that Wade Butler duo, he didn't, he couldn't run his system. And I'm still not convinced he's a good coach, but at least now this is his team, if that makes sense. Whereas I don't think it was last year or the year before. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a college coach. Now he's got a bunch of college guys. I, th- I think that's the way I look at that. It's a, Again, you've got a bunch of guys who are just young players still looking to be coached uh, very much so. And I think you look at guys like Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade, they weren't looking for a college coach to come in and just start trying to run those type of systems. And I think now he's just got that kind of free roam. He's got players who have bought in to what he's trying to sell. And uh, again, it, there's a limit to what they're going to achieve like that. But again, it's not a bad start from where, where I was looking at the Bulls in the summer. I, I was... I think we were talking about how they were one of the the kind of worst fan bases to be right now with the Orlando Magic, and I think they've they've showed us now that they've got something to be excited about. What's the ceiling for Laurie Markkinen? Because like from from the br- the brief appearances and glimpses I've watched of him so far this season, he could quite possibly become the best pure shooter that has ever come out of Europe. Like, and I'm talking better than Dirk because like he's easily better than Dirk was at his age when Dirk first came into the league and he lit up Eurobasket in the summer he's averaging 15 points a game and he's he's been the guy for them on nights when they've needed him he's he's hit game winners and he's dominated in the paint and I I, I just want to question you guys as to where his his ceiling could be I mean can he be as good as Dirk better is he going to be better than Kristaps I mean he beat Kristaps in that matchup where they faced off the other week I think he's going to be better than Chris Stapps. Um, maybe not as a defender, but if you watch Chris Stapps at times, I think he's still too reliant on hitting circus shots. I think he needs to add that efficiency to his game. I think polished, I don't know if that's the word you guys would use to describe Markkinen. Yeah. Uh, very yeah. smooth. If It just seems natural, if that makes sense. And you often get 20-year-old rookies, they kind of force things or you know they'll drive and they'll just lose control halfway through. He is a very smooth player, and I think that is the perfect fit this is a strong guard class that's about to come out in college. You're going to pair one of those with Levine and um, Dunn. I think this team, actually, um, I like them. I think this is Markkinen's team as well, which is probably what you were aiming at, Matt, with yeah, your yeah. question. Yeah, I think this is his team. He's he's so he's going to be so good. Which is crazy for a 20-year-old like to just be chucked in charge of you know a, a team as prestigious as the Chicago Bulls. I mean, I remember in the Eurobasket game, he played against France and he absolutely torched them. And I've just never seen a jumper look look so pure at such a young age. And for a guy who's, you know, seven foot, traditionally shooters who are seven foot do not have nice releases. But his is, yeah, it's like he's a guard who's honed his talent for like 10 years. Well, the, the, the thing that's really underestimated about Larry Markkinen, and Joe and I talked about this in the summer, and I, I don't know if you remember Joe, but I was, I was very high on Larry Markkinen for one particular reason, and that, that was his footwork. And I think when you look at him shoot a jump shot, he doesn't shoot like Dirk Nowitzki. He doesn't shoot like uh, Kristaps Porzingis. From a kind of footwork standpoint, he shoots like Clay Thompson. He can get his shot off anywhere anytime in the sense that he's able to set his feet very quickly 
off the dribble, off the bounce, off a handoff. He can score in so many different ways. And that differentiates him from like a Ryan Anderson, who's going to be a set shooter that you pass the ball into a corner. You can actually run a lot of plays for Larry Markley and make him a focal point of the offense. And he's going to punish you uh, with a shot. And they're going to have to start closing really tight on him because he's going to shoot that. And then he's still able to attack the closeout. And he's actually very good at finishing. He's an aggressive guy. A lot of European players get that kind of softy bit attached to them. And some people have done that with marketing because he's got fluffy hair. He's not a soft guy. He's a tough guy. And you can see from the way he plays, uh, he's a physical presence in there. And uh, again, if he can get his uh, defense up a little bit, uh, you're going to start seeing him in some talks for, again, rookie of the year, even potentially. I th think the numbers aren't quite there compared to Ben Simmons and Mitchell. But uh, he's a guy that he's going to be a, a bit of a, a staple in this league for a number of years. He's got this great hook shot where he sort of lays it in off the glass, which is just absolutely incredible to watch. And I, and if you are interested in like European basketball and how certainly European players have developed in the NBA over the years, I would 100% encourage you to go over to sportsillustrated.com at the moment because um, Andrew Sharp's written a piece about European basketball. It's about 12,000 words long. It's it's mahusive. Um, started reading it at lunchtime today and never, didn't actually finish it, but it talks about how Europeans went over and how the mentality around European basketball has changed and obviously then helped in recent years change the mentality in America of how you should coach and how you should warm, you know, you should sort of basically mentor your youth. And it's a really, really interesting read. I'm sure I'll get around to finishing the rest of it later, but it is a monster. So seriously, like clear out some time or something to read it, but well worth looking at. It's just a phenomenal piece of sort of work, something that I will happily admit I could never write. <laughs> Anyway, speaking of writing, um, doubleclutch.uk has had a couple of articles up the last week. I did post a musings about the midway point of the season. Um, Josh Coyne did something about when he spoke to Adam Silver about jersey sponsorships, which is obviously here to stay. I mean, is that something that's bothered you guys at all this season? To be honest, I've barely noticed it, apart from the stupid Wish logo on the Lakers jersey. <laughs> I love it, personally, because, uh, again, when I was uh, in the States, you, you could only buy the jerseys with the sponsorship on if you buy it from yeah. the arena. So I've made it like a little thing of mine now that to collect as many as I can. <laughs> so I've just tried, I've been there. To, yeah, you, so you, you can go and think, right, again, I know that if I've got the jersey with the sponsorship on, it shows I've been to the actual arena. So, again, when we were out in New York, I was tempted to get the train down to Philly just to go pick me up a Simmons or an MB jersey with the with the sponsor on because I like that stuff up on too. So yeah, I, I don't mind it. I think it's uh it's it's not really that noticeable at the end of the day. And if, as long as it's done in a good way, uh, it's not too bad. Yeah, absolutely. I'm impressed Joe made it to this podcast actually because um the the Timberwolves won a game the other night without Jimmy Butler. Yes, and they, it was against Toronto as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, social media wise, you can find us. We are at Double Clutch UK on uh, Twitter. We're at Double Clutch UK on Facebook. We're at Double Clutch UK on Instagram. You, you get the point. Um, hashtag NBN UK. If you are watching games live over the next week and a bit, we will hopefully be back at some point. Um, with another podcast but it's been fun guys it's been good to, to catch up after sort of two weeks off it's been good to have you both back on um joe are you writing for anybody at the moment you'd like to shout out or i have a free agent at the moment free agent yeah. <laughs> does anyone want a max contract <laughs> okay if you've got any questions for us on the, the next podcast please do email them in to admin at doubleclutch.uk uh, we will go through them please just keep that going in future actually it really helps us sort of build our shows if we we have some user input along the way it certainly helps us from sort of running around on a Sunday night or Monday grabbing content which is what we do quite often we, we will happily admit um, like I said earlier please do check us out on Spotify we are now on Spotify which is which is awesome. If you like us on iTunes, please leave us a review. It helps us get us up the rankings. But besides that, um, we'll catch you next week, guys. Thank you for listening. 